Hello, my name is Jody P. Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Paula Chase. Uh, she's author of the recently released middle-grade novel Turning Point, and she's also one of the founders and contributors to the Brown Bookshelf blog. And we're going to be talking about both her book and the blog, as well as her favorite book, Maybe He Just Likes You, by Barbara D. Uh, but first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. And the poem today is called Night Dance, and it was written by Rebecca K. Dotlick. Night Dance All over the world, there are night dance children, hiding, hopping, never stopping, jump rope rhyming, late hopscotching, Happy feet in chalky squares, children dancing everywhere, and the sun goes down, and the children moon skip all around, as firebugs flicker in the air, there are night dance children everywhere. My guest today is Paula Chase, author of such books as the Del Rio Bay series and the middle grade novels Doughboys and So Done. Her latest middle grade novel is Turning Point. In addition, she's one of the founders and a contributor to the Brown Bookshelf blog. Her website can be found at paulachasebooks.com, and the website for the Brown Bookshelf can be found at thebrownbookshelf.com. I thank you for joining me today, Paula. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, as I mentioned, you've got a, a new middle grade novel. At the time we're recording this, it isn't quite out uh, quite out yet, but uh, by the time people are going to be hearing it, it will have been out for a month, and it's called Turning Point. Can you talk a little bit of uh, what the book is about? So my books are typically at their heart friendship stories, and this is probably the first time where the friendship is not necessarily the primary core, so that's a, that's a little change for me. But the story is about two friends who end up spending the summer apart. One goes to an elite uh, ballet intensive while the other is at home, stuck with her super religious aunt and all of her rules. And she spends a lot of time with what she considers her church friends. And it's about their different, I guess the exploration of their experiences and how it changes them because they, they sort of realize each of them in their in their own environment realizes that they learn things about themselves and they begin to wonder um, are are who they are enough and and what happens when you start to question who you are do you change who you are or you know is it time to change you know maybe your ambitions or your desires and so they they go on that journey but uh, there is a portion of it where their friendship is impacted of course because you know, when you're 13, they're, they're 13 going on 14 in the book. Uh, friendships are a huge part of your life. And summer is usually the time where you bond because you, you have so much more time together and they're experiencing just the opposite. They're apart. And it, and it gets into a little bit of how being apart impacts their friendship. What was the uh, inspiration? Where did you uh, first get the idea for this story? So the characters themselves have been in both of my other books, the girls Monique and Rashida are friends of the main characters of So Done. So the so readers of that book at least met them. And I knew as I was writing 
the other two books that I wanted to explore these two as well. And I especially wanted to explore them because Monique is a dancer and she is exposed to dance through the rec center. And so when she gets into um, a program at school, she gets a little bit more insight into the dance world. So I wanted to explore her journey in the dance world because she's coming from a predominantly black space and the ballet intensive is a predominantly white space. So I wanted to explore what that was like for her. And on the flip side with her friend Rashida, I wanted to explore what it's like sometimes when kids sort of have a lot of rules and regulations forced on them based on religion and and sort of how there's this assumption that, you know, when kids are a part of a church and are regular members of the church, that it means that they don't do the things that all other teenagers do, or they don't have the same thoughts that other teenagers do. So I wanted to explore that, um, that dynamic. I'm wondering, because uh, these were characters in other books, but they might have been more uh, secondary characters, but give them a fuller story here. When you when you write them, did you have a good sense or it, when in exploring these characters, giving them a fuller story, do you learn something new about them that um, even though they're your characters, that kind of surprises you as well as you're in the process of writing? Yeah, uh, my characters surprise me all the time because I'm a pantser. I don't know what's happening in the story until it happens. <laughs> And all I knew about Monique and Rashida when I began writing the book was that Rashida lived with her aunt, Monique lived with her mom, and that she had brothers, mainly brothers who were troublemakers, and and, and they're incarcerated except for her one brother that's home now. So that's all I knew about them. As I began to write the story, who the characters were came through to me, uh, their motivations came through to me, but you know, usually that doesn't happen until I'm sitting down in front of the computer. And as, as, as I imagine it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, these characters that you created before to really sort of uh, start to, to grow and blossom, you know, as, as you're, you're you're filling out the story for them. It really is. It's, it's a lot of fun because I have this habit of always creating too many characters in my books. So since everybody can't be in front of the lens at the same time, I'm always sort of fascinated with where else the story can go, you know, if we turn the lens to someone else. So yeah, it, it, it's fun to learn about them as as I'm going along because there are quirks that they didn't necessarily, that weren't necessarily shown in the other books, but you know, but they were there enough for me to to build a story around them. I mentioned, as well as an author, you were also uh, one of the founders and, and a contributor to the Brown Bookshelf blog. Can you talk a little bit about what that blog is? The Brown Bookshelf was created, uh, I guess maybe we're going on our 12th year. I, I'm bad with dates, but... We are a group of Black creatives, and our mission is to amplify other Black creatives in children's lit. When I got my first book contract uh, with Kensington Books back in the early 2000s, I recognized that there weren't an awful lot of Black children authors and illustrators didn't really get a lot of marketing push. And, you know, you didn't know them 
by name, like you would know some of the some of the white authors. And so Varian Johnson and I thought that it would be nice to not only amplify people who were under the radar, but to also pay homage to those black creators that had come before us that afforded us the opportunity to do it. So every February, we do a campaign called 28 Days Later. And every single day in February, we highlight a new author and they're usually, uh, or illustrator. And they're either um, under the radar or they are someone who is um, a trailblazer. Is it uh, about this time of year? Because I know we're, we're a ways away from February uh, 2021, but you'll start thinking at least about uh, what you might do uh, what might uh, be the plans for next year? Or what is the process, I suppose, of thinking ahead for 2021, I suppose? So what we used to do is in September, we put out a call and we ask people to send us names. And, you know, and we and we curate those names and, and decide, you know, who we would who we would feature over the years. We we still do that, but we found that because we are all so involved in the writing community that typically we come up with more names than we're given recently. So um, we try to stay tapped in so that we can uh, have plenty of people to choose from. But we did a new uh, initiative this summer called the Generations Book Club, where the 1st and 15th of each month this summer, we picked a theme and then we picked a picture book, a middle grade, a young adult book and an adult book, trying to encourage uh, the entire family to read based on that theme. So it's something new for us. And we're thinking about continuing that. And it will be the first time that we've added such a consistent initiative. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays with our 28 Days Later. I'm wondering, so you've been doing this 12 years, you, you've certainly gotten uh, feedback. Have you sort of uh, heard back from people or, or have a sense of the uh, impact that you've had of these 12 years that you've been doing this? Yeah, it's funny because when you're in the middle of it, you almost wonder, are people listening? Are people looking? But then last year, we received a diversity award from the Children's Cooperative. And it kind of astounded me because I mean, we, we, we've been doing it for so long and it's, it's a labor of love for us. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. And it, it felt really nice to know that people were paying attention to our mission. And then we received another boost in profile when Kwame Alexander approached us and asked us, would we, um, would we host the Kit Lit for Black Lives rally um, that took place in early June? And, and, and that really raised our profile. I mean, we'd been around and people knew us. We knew people knew us. We knew people use us as a resource. But it was after the rally where, you know, I think we were exposed to a lot more people. We, we had a tight knit group of people, librarians, educators, parents who knew about us. But after that, it really, it really blew up. And would you mind explaining what the Kitlet rally is for those who who may not have been aware of that uh, going on, what that was? So Kwame Alexander, uh, Jacqueline Woodson and Jason Reynolds got together and wanted to uh, do something associated with the Black Lives Matter movement where just to show that children's literature 
the children's lit community was behind Black Lives Matter. So they gathered a bunch of creatives and we had a rally where everybody just talked about the importance of uh, humanizing Black people and the importance that literature can play in in helping people to be anti-racist. So it was an amazing event and we were happy to host it. I was happy to be a part of it um, as one of the speakers. And it really has, I think, kept the conversation going among those in the children's literature community. I do have to ask, are there any recent uh, books you've come across that you'd like people to know about, things that they should definitely check out sometime? So, like, for me, I, I tend to, the drum that I'm beating is always about inclusion. It's either inclusion um, in terms of uh, Black people and people of color, but also I am what's near to my heart is being able to promote books that are for readers who I call lost in the middle between uh, traditional middle grade and traditional young adult. So um, that's upper middle grade and what we're now calling YYA. So, um, you know, just a, a couple of books that fall into that category in case people are like, okay, I've never heard of these categories. YYA would be that the protagonist is 13 to 15 years old. So um, uh, Becoming Beatrix by Tammy Charles is one of those types of books. Uh, Genesis Begins Again by Alicia D. Williams. And then we have um, Upper Middle Grade, which the protagonist can be as young as 11, but it's really about 11 to 13. And the content has to be something that traditional middle grade would consider a bit too maybe heavy. And uh, so uh, Keep It Together, Keiko Carter uh, by Debbie Michiko Florence is a book like that. And um, Efren Divided by Ernesto Cisneros. And the, the book you uh, picked as one of your favorite books, I think, would fall under that uh, care as it being a YYA. Uh, it's, um, Maybe He Just Likes You by Barbara D. And this was published uh, just in 2019. Uh, and for readers who aren't familiar with it, and I have to admit, I had not read this uh, before uh, um, until you recommend it and, I, and I've had a chance to read it. Uh, for, for readers who haven't had a chance to read it yet, can you talk a little bit of what it is about? Sure. So Barbara would kill me if I if I agree that hers is YYA. Hers is considered upper, upper middle grade. Uh, her protagonist is 12 years old. So for the record. Yeah. So uh, maybe he just likes you. It's, I had the, the pleasure of reading it before it came out. Um, I actually blurbed the book for Barbara and it. Wow. I mean, like, it was funny because when she told me what it was about, I'm like, oh, that sounds, you know, that sounds really interesting. But reading it just took me back to middle school and it made me look at my own middle school years, at my daughter's middle school years in such a different light because I never thought about sort of that dynamic of when a boy teases you and, and people do say that, oh, well, you know, he just likes you. He, he He's being mean to you because he just likes you. It made me look at that whole dynamic in such a new light. I think it's such a needed book, right? Especially right now so that, so that we can nurture uh, the boy-girl relationship a little differently. 
Hey, you mentioned that that title, Maybe He Just Likes You. At first glance, it seems like the sort of innocuous thing you might hear uh, kids say to each other in like middle school or high school. But as you read the book, it takes on a very different sort of meaning for Mila, the, the, the main character. Um, yes. it, 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 it's, it's, it's not just an innocent sort of, well, it's something people say to her, but it's not just a, a, a simple sort of um, dismissive thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it deals with all of those things that, you know, young girls go through in terms of, you know, Mila is starting to, you know, grow into her own body. Uh, She's becoming a little, you know, self-conscious about it. And so to be in that position where not only are you starting to realize that, you know, you're developing, but then to get the attention from a boy and be confused about, you know, whether that's positive or negative attention, you know, to have to actually process and ask yourself whether it's positive or negative, like that's, it's a very real thing. I mean, it, it, I think almost every girl goes through that. Well, I think she does get this, Barbara D gives that sense of confusion because when these things start to happen um, to Mila, this, uh, this uh, group of boys, she's, confused and she's not sure and she's not sure she should um say anything or she feels you know kind of guilty in some ways about even mentioning it to other people at first exactly and then you know we do see that when she does that she doesn't necessarily get you know kind of the validation that she was looking for even so you know but at the same time Barbara does such a good job of also kind of showing how how this impacts her friendships with not only with Zara, but with her friend um, Max. And, And I think that's what I love about upper middle grade and why it's such a necessary category is people are quick to label these type of things issue books. And, and, and they're not because that term states to me that, oh, but the book is only about that issue. And it's about so much more than that. When you look at the relationship that the that the the characters have together and, you know, how the how Mila thinks that she's standing up for Max and, you know, not realizing how he feels about that. And and you know, it's just it's such a well-rounded perspective of what it's like to be 12 years old. And the friendships are very complicated, uh, like especially your friendship with Zara, which is um, you know, she, she's never quite sure how she feels and uh, about Zara as a friend. And, and sometimes she's a great friend and sometimes she's not. And the same with others, you know, it, like any other friendship, it's always... You know, especially at that age, uh, friendships can be very complicated and uh, a little uncertain about, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if people have your back or not. Absolutely. And, and you know, they have that added tension of, of Zara sort of feeling like wondering why Mila's is even complaining uh, about what's happening to her. So, again, there it seeds that doubt, because if someone is your friend you think, well, I, you know, maybe they're right, you know, because you want to trust that that they have your best interests at heart. But then she has that, you know, little, that little gnawing feeling in the back of her head that maybe Zara isn't 100%, you know, or doesn't 100% have her best interests. So, and, and I can just, like, I 
felt for her when that happened because the friendships are so important. So of course, when the friendship isn't, isn't healthy anymore, um, you know, that's devastating for, for young people. I thought it was interesting too how she, um, even though it's it's told from um, Mill's point of view, but um, we get a sense of her, her mother too going through uh, not exactly a parallel situation with her work with a, a difficult boss, but something that um, you know, uh, speaking of like power dynamics, you know, uh, and and in some ways um, a, a similar situation in terms of uneven power dynamics and trying to negotiate, you know, try to figure things out. So, and and for Mila to get sort of a view into the adult world, world, and you know things are not always as e- easy there either. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important for readers to you know understand that their parents don't know everything. I mean, I know that when they have that epiphany, they lose a little bit of their their innocence. I guess you could say. But it also helps them to, you know, cut their parents a little bit of slack because, you know, they're able to see that their parents have challenges, too. We also get a a sense of Rumila's eyes about how this these these group of boys and how they sort of get latched into this sort of group think. And then and that just things just start to escalate because nobody wants to say stop and let's think about this. Um, so they just, it's just sort of, they get together and the, the group think kind of takes over. Right. And, and I think we see, you know, I mean, I think sometimes we joke, sometimes it's not a joke, but we talk about the fact that girls tend to mature faster than boys. And I think we see that a little bit here and maybe it's maturity or maybe it's just that, you know, girls talk a lot and so in talking a lot to one another, they're they're processing things, they're breaking things down, wherein, you know, boys don't usually just sit around talking all day They're you know, and, and that's how these boys are shown. You know, they're shown getting together, they're playing, um, you know, they, they play instruments. So you always sort of see the boys in this more active realm and there's not enough time in that active realm, perhaps to assess and process the way that the girls have time to do it. And and for Mila, too, I, what we were talking about sort of the confusion thing, but she does start to, there is really kind of a turning point for her, uh, particularly when she starts attending this karate class. Uh, it doesn't, it isn't that it leads to a, you know, big karate battle in the end, but it does, <laughs> but it does something for her, uh, you know, to uh, build her confidence. And so it's a really sort of a turning point uh, for her to just start attending and meeting, not just learning, but also meeting other, and I can't remember the the, the, the other uh, girl she meets there, but uh, meeting somebody like that um, helps to turn things around for her, at least during her mind. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and I think that it, it plays to uh, the reality that when you broaden your world, right, it, it things happen. And, and that's what happens to her when she gets into this karate class. Yeah. And she also has this big sort of public confrontation. I'm thinking of the band concert. And I, I realize, you know, things like this don't usually happen in life. But I'm thinking for the reader who's going through this novel and uh, getting caught up in Miller's story and wanting to have a moment, that's a really important moment, not just for her, but I think for the reader as well to have that sort of 
kind of cathartic moment where she she you know you know at that moment I'm thinking about the band concert where she and I don't want to give it away where she right. really takes control of the situation and and you know it's funny because it's it, on one end I agree when we say like oh things don't necessarily happen like that but you know they in a way they do um probably not as publicly but i can you know i can <laughs> i can remember when both of my daughters took french in in middle school and both of them got to go on a trip with the french class and both of them ended up having um not not a necessarily a similar moment but that moment where things kind of reach ahead and, and and they implode a little bit with with the dynamics of of friends or, or, or friend circle. So they kind of do though. <laughs> That's true. And not, never, not usually as as big and dramatic as that, but they they have those right. moments. Now, what I thought was uh, good about the book, usually in other books, that would be the moment, and then the book would end. But she actually continues it on. You know, there, there's this sort of conflict resolution moment. So the idea that you know there is this important moment, but it doesn't mean it's the end. That there's still a process going on, and for the author to show that you know it's it's and those moments are important. But there's still, you know, work to be done, even after a moment like that for 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 everybody. Absolutely. I Again, that's sort of why I've been, you know, really on the bandwagon about trying to have upper middle grade books acknowledged, because I do think that there are certain elements that are part of upper middle grade books that may not necessarily uh, be a part of middle grade. I think in middle grade, because you are usually talking to an eight, nine, maybe, maybe 10 year old reader, there is a, there is a, a tendency to make sure that the book is, is tied up nicely that that the story sort of has I want to say a happy ending because you you want it to at least be a positive ending and sometimes with upper middle grade it there's there's more that reality like you said it's not just hey everybody hugged and it was it there is that there's still a little bit more work to be done and 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 it that tends to be I think a hallmark almost of upper middle grade in, in young young adult books. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. There's, there's, there's that that sort of particular age level, of which there's not a really enough uh, books in general. Um, now, for me too, for, for I always think a, a good book. Uh, whenever I think of a good book, uh, is good for any age. So even a book like this, even though we're thinking of uh, it for you know that um, upper middle grade audience, but um, I can see a value even. For kids uh, older than this, you know, uh, reading a book like this, um, I'm always arguing that, you know, all books and a good book is a good book for anybody uh, at any age. And I think for for a book like this, even though it's important to target those things, I think it might even have a value for older kids um, as well in high school, because this certainly is not just a middle school issue by any means, uh, that it's uh, something that, um, you know, goes on high school and beyond. Oh, and I, I agree. Um, I have often felt like one of the reasons that some students reach high school and, and still aren't readers is because they didn't 
have these books for the middle, you know, because we, we sort of lose them a little bit um, after usually when they turn about 12 years old until yeah, I'm not sure when, because some people return to it when they're 16 and some people never leave it because they, be, they move up to YA so early. But there are some kids who I feel would would definitely be served from going backwards a little bit in age wise in reading these type of books, because I think they might, especially because they're older, even have a better understanding by, by being able to think back on their own time when they were 13 or 14 or 12, needless 12. Yeah, it does seem uh, so often that kids that age, they saw uh, they, when they're very younger, uh, they're reading and sort of fall out of that. And maybe because there's, they are not aware of these, all these books that are out there uh, that uh, might speak to them. Um, and um, hopefully, you know, teachers and librarians are starting to recognize that and bring these more of these books uh, into their uh, awareness. So, you know, there are, there are all these books out there. Um, hopefully, that they can discover and uh, will speak to them in some way. Absolutely. I certainly am on my own mission to make sure that they know about them because, you know, no reader left behind. Well, uh, Paula, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me uh, both about your own book, Turning Point, and talking about the uh, Brown uh, Bookshelf blog and for uh, talking to me about this book, uh, maybe he just likes you, which, as I said, was a, a new book to me, uh, and and so I, uh, and that's always an exciting thing for me to read a book that I haven't read before. Um, so thank you for the taking the time to introduce to, to me to this book and to talk to me about it tonight. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Paula's website at paulachasebooks.com and the website for the Brown Bookshelf at thebrownbookshelf.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>